The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do this morning, I want to invite you to find your place in Mark chapter 1. And this morning we're going to look at verses 12 through 13. And I'm preaching on the subject, fighting temptation. Fighting temptation. Mark here describes the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The same event is also recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Mark, the gospel writer here, describes for our benefit the way in which Jesus faced enticements from the evil one. He did this for a couple of purposes. Number one, he shows us that Jesus is our example in fighting against temptation. We will all be tempted in life. We'll be tempted to sin and go against God's will with our attitudes, with our actions, with our beliefs, and with our behaviors. Temptation is a fact of life. James said in James 1.14, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And James reveals that temptation is just this matter-of-fact experience that we will all have here as long as we live on planet Earth. So Mark here, by telling a story about Jesus, gives us the example of Jesus so that we'll have some help, some tips, if you will, in countering temptation. But Mark also reminds us that Jesus did not give in to temptation. He did not sin He stared Satan down and stayed righteous through it all. And as a result, Jesus was a sinless, perfect sacrifice for our sins. He died on the cross, but he didn't just die on the cross. He died as the perfect, spotless Son of God. Therefore, he has the right and the ability to take away the sins of the world. This morning, if you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, hear the message of the Bible. You have been made for a relationship with God, but you are imperfect. You are marred and marked by this thing we call sin. You have said, thought, and done things that fall short of God's holy standard. And as a result, you don't have, you can't have a relationship with God. But God loved you so much that he gave Jesus to live a perfect life on your behalf, to die for your sins. If you will believe in him, you will be saved, forgiven, and given his spirit, promised a home in heaven when you die. So we see here Jesus as an example, as an example of how we overcome temptation. We also see him as an empower for temptation. We have the ability to overcome all of the sin and stuff of this world because greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. Temptation is a fact of life, and we need to know how to overcome. If we don't overcome temptation, if we don't know how to fight against it, many of us will stay shackled by sins that sabotage our spiritual life. If we don't learn how to stand in the day, the evil day of temptation, we, plain and simple, won't be all that God wants us to be. We'll miss out on the abundant life, the meaningful life, for which, he, for which he has created us. 
And if we don't learn how to overcome temptation in our daily lives, we won't be able to shine as lights of love and hope in this messed up world. How do we fight temptation? Well, I believe our story here provides us, when we understand it, three actions we can take to overcome. Number one, Mark's gospel reminds us that we, we can overcome temptation by knowing who can help us. Or we could so, say it like this, if you want to know how to overcome temptation, number one, know who can help you. Notice what takes place in Mark chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible there says, immediately the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Now I find it interesting that Jesus' temptation was initiated by the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity, who starts Jesus' experience with temptation. The Spirit drives Jesus out in the wilderness to have an encounter with Satan. And the word is a strong word in the original language. This word drove, it's a compound word that literally means to, to throw out, to throw out. Uh, yesterday, we had a birthday party at our house, and my mother brought watermelons, two watermelons. Anybody love watermelons? Have a moment of silence for watermelon this morning. Stuff is great, yes. It's my favorite of many favorites, but I mean, I love it, all right? Y'all will learn that about me. When I say something's my favorite food, I have like 100 favorites, all right? Watermelon's my favorite, Okay. So, um, and peaches are good too. I also like kiwis and mangoes, but watermelon's really good. All right. So we ate the watermelons and we had the, the rinds or the holes or the shells, whatever you want to call them afterwards. I don't know why I just like to take those and throw them in the woods behind the house. So, and go out the next day and see where the raccoons have crawled through them and eat, clawed through them and eaten them. All right. So I threw them outside, but it's not, that's not the idea of the word here. This is a stronger word. I can remember working in the restaurant industry in Atlanta around the time cell phones were becoming really popular and everybody had one in public and I was working a lunch shift one day and the business crowd was in there and there was a guy on his phone and he's talking. It's like he's proud he's got a cell phone in public. And he was like, yeah, Steve. Yeah, Steve, I'm out to lunch. Yeah, we'll be back to the office later and we'll close that deal, Steve. And this guy at the table next to him stood up with his fingers to his face like that and said, yeah, Steve. I'm obnoxious. I'm out here at the restaurant. He was mocking the guy. I'm out here at the restaurant letting everybody know I've got a cell phone. So the guy with the phone said, hey, Steve, can you give me a minute? Sure, Steve. Okay. Hey, you got a problem? Next thing you know, these guys are in a fight, like grabbing each other by the collar right in the middle of the restaurant. We call the police. The manager has to kick them out of the restaurant. Don't pay for your food. You got to go. Get out of here. Kick them out. Here we see a strong word in the original language is this idea of throwing out or kicking out. It's used later in the Gospels, Mark 134 and 139, to speak of Jesus casting out demons. This is a drastic action. The Spirit is driving, driving Jesus out into the wilderness. Why? Our Lord was thrown out into the countryside, desolate place, to do battle with Satan, to prove that he was impervious to sin 
and that he had come to planet earth to defeat sin and to defeat Satan, to defeat depravity and defeat death. Jesus here is driven out in the wilderness to demonstrate he is the viable substitute for sinful humanity. He is the one who can help humankind overcome Satan and sin. The author of Hebrews remarked on this truth. said, therefore, Jesus had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he would become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of people. For since he himself suffered, listen, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Be glad this morning that the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness because Jesus went out in the wilderness to, to win a victory on your behalf. He overcame Satan and sin, and now he's alive and he's in your heart, and you don't have to give in to that bad attitude. You don't have to give in to that insecurity. You don't have to give in to that overeating, that alcohol abuse. You don't have to give in to people-pleasing tendencies. You don't have to be dominated by bitterness. You don't have to let selfishness and pride dictate your life. You can live like Jesus because the power of Jesus is now within you, Romans 5.5. 5. I don't know about you, but sometimes in fighting against temptation, I've got my struggles like anyone else. Sometimes in fighting against temptation, I can feel like Paul in Romans 7.24. He there was talking about his struggle with sin, and Paul had to cry out, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And you know his answer. He said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, give us some humble Christians like Paul who realize they are imperfect and they are broken. They are prone to sin, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love, but thanks be to God that Jesus Christ gives the victory. The author of Hebrews also said, we don't have a high priest, Hebrews 4, 15, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Was the temptation of Jesus important? Sure it was. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says, but he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, church, hear this story. It's not just a story. It's a miracle. Jesus here overcoming Satan shows us that he has the ability to help us in our time of temptation. We don't have to live in bondage. We don't have to live shackled to sin. We don't have to have this complex that, oh, it's just the way I am. I can't overcome. We don't have to fall victim to thought patterns that have dominated us and kept us back for so long. Secret sins and addictions can be eliminated through the power of Jesus within us. We just have to learn how to live the spirit life. We have to learn how to die to self and follow Jesus. We have to learn the secret of allowing His Holy Spirit to transform us. I can remember as a young Christian, I was well aware there were areas in which I needed to change. I, I remember desiring to learn about how I could overcome and 
areas of temptation. I had old thinking patterns and old habits that I knew were not pleasing to God. And I can remember really wrestling with this topic and seeking the Lord's leadership and how to, to overcome certain things in my life. And so initially as a young Christian, I went through that battle. It wasn't a few years ago. Somebody told me at one point, an older person, I remember going on a mission trip and this older lady from our church sat next to me on the plane. And I just remember this conversation I had with her. And she said, you know, it's in your 30s many times that you have to work through some stuff. And I, I was in my 30s at that time. Not that you don't have to work stuff throughout your whole life, right? But she just kind of had this thought at that time. And it really hit me because I was working through some stuff. Some things I needed to overcome. Some insecurities. Some, some thought processes I needed to work through. And I was at a place where I realized there is no behavior modification technique. There's, there are no seven steps. There's no little booklet I can go get, the bestseller that helps me change. I got to the place where it was just me and the Lord, and I realized I need help from God. There's no other way. I remember getting to the place where I went to Galatians chapter 5 and read of the fruits of the Spirit, and I was on my knees before the Lord, and I said, Lord, your word says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I realize I am unable to produce these things of myself. Would you please somehow, beyond my knowledge in ways I can't understand, Spirit of the living God, where there's a heart of stone, would you give me a heart of flesh? Not to say that I'm arri I've arrived or anything like that, but through that experience, I, I experienced a spiritual breakthrough. And I think I was learning what we see in our text, what Mark was wanting to impress upon his leaders. Friends, the Christ life is only possible through Jesus. It's a spiritual life. It's a mystery in a way. Jesus said it's like a, the relationship between a vine and a branch. We want to overcome temptation. We have to learn how to live in this abiding relationship we have to learn to surrender and humble ourselves and allow Jesus to be Jesus in us and produce his life. Know who can help you. Number two this morning, I want you to see this truth. You have to secondly be, a wise, be wise about how temptation works. Be wise about how temptation works. Satan has an old worn out strategy that he's had since the beginning of time. The more things change, the more they really stay the same. Verse 13 tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. Now notice he is tempted by Satan. This word refers to an actual solicitation to evil. Satan is baiting him. He's enticing Jesus. He's wanting him to do wrong things. He's wanting him to violate God's will and go against God's word. We're reminded here that Satan, our adversary, is up to the same old thing. It is his goal to entice people and to get people to live contrary to God's will. See, Satan knows this. We are all alive for the glory of God. There is a creator. Go outside and look at nature. Consider the human body. The complexity of the design in our universe shouts, there is a master designer. And that master designer has made men, women, boys, and girls to live for a forever relationship with him. And it gives him good pleasure when people live for him 
and worship him. Satan knows all of this. He knows that is the Lord's plan for his creative order. And Satan, being jealous of God's glory, Isaiah 14, desires to hijack God's plan for humanity. As a result, he's always working behind the scenes to get people to blaspheme God, to get people to live contrary to God's plans. Scripture tells us, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be alert, Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Get this, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 teaches us there is an unseen war behind the scenes. Satan's battling for the souls of humanity. He wants 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to blind people to the truth of God. And it is his modus operandi to deceive people. It is his end aim, Job 1, 6 through 2, 10, to defame the righteous character of God. Now here he attempted to do all of that with Satan, or with Jesus, excuse me. Wow, bad slip there, all right? Satan attempted to do that with Jesus. And we know from Matthew's gospel that there's a lot more to it than Mark gives us here. It says, Mark tells us Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Matthew's gospel tells us in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, that Satan tempted Jesus in three different areas. Write these down if you're taking notes. This is what I'm talking about when I say you need to be wise about how temptation works. Satan tempted Jesus in regards to, number one, fleshly desires, Matthew 4, 3. Everybody say that word, fleshly. He tempted Jesus, secondly, in regards to egotistical desires, Matthew 4, 6. Everybody say that word, egotistical. Or you just say ego. (laughs) And then he third tempted him in regards to materialistic desires, material things. Everybody say material things. Matthew 4, 9. So, So sometimes we think about Satan, you know, like, possessing people and certainly could do that we think of satan doing these wild wicked spooky things and certainly he could do that but i want you to see at the core of what he does is these three words flesh ego and materialism satan knows he can blind people's eyes to the glory of god by getting them caught up on these three things Each of these three broad categories are seen throughout Scripture. Satan's been using them since the beginning of time. You could go to Genesis 3, 5 through 6, and you would see that he appealed to Eve in all three of these areas. You could read in 1 John 2, 16, where Scripture speaks of how all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, fleshly desires, the pride of life, egotism, the lust of the eyes, materialism. This is his worn-out strategy. You see it with the kings of Israel as well. Deuteronomy 7, 16 through 17, when the Lord warned the kings of Israel not to accumulate extra wives, horses, or too much gold, he was basically warning them, don't fall for the bait of Satan, don't live for fleshly desires, egotistical desires, or materialistic desires. And I want you to see from Scripture that Satan's got a bullseye on your your life. He's got his sight set on me. He wants to destroy us as God's people. And he always uses these 
Same three tactics. Thousands of years later, his schemes are still the same. He knows that we're all suckers for pleasure, pride, and possessions. He wants to get us living for those things that seems like all of us perhaps have a propensity to one of those. And if you don't know which one you have a propensity to, you might already be under the sway of Satan. Got to be careful. Pleasure, pride, and possessions. He's still using these worn out tricks. Lucifer, the devil, wants to steal your heart away from God. He wants to make your family live for things other than Yahweh. So he continually dangles the carrot, the carrot of materialism out in front of you, beckoning you to live for cars and cash, homes and your hobbies. He wants to blind us to spiritual realities, so he often coaxes us to live for our reputation, the applaud of people, what others think about us, the opinions of humanity. And Satan's always aiming to rob God of the praise he deserves. So he tries to get us, and all of humankind, to live for forbidden pleasures related to food, sex, and rest. We've got to be wise to the enemy's tactics. When we recognize his bait, his traps, and the way he ensnares, we'll be well on our way to overcoming. Be wise about how temptation works. Lastly, this morning, I wanted to share this truth. And we see it in Scripture here. Third, look forward to the future. We see some great truth here in verse 13. Mark includes a detail that Matthew doesn't. It's kind of strange because Matthew, is, uh, his gospel is longer. He gives more detail. But look at the one detail Mark gives us. Look in verse 13. Look in your Bible that's not in Matthew's gospel. It says, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And then listen to this phrase. He was with the wild animals. Everybody say wild animals. Now, we, we've got some woods behind our house. And yesterday we had a bunch of boys there for a birthday party. And some of them ran out into the woods right away. I've been out in those woods and seen tracks. I've seen places burrowed out in the ground where animals sleep. And uh, humankind, right, we have a little bit of a fear of wild animals. This past week, I went with Josh Carpenter, one of our missionaries in Italy, and we went on a, a bike ride on the Silver Comet Trail. And we were in this portion uh, between two big hills where they'd cut a place for the, the railway out. And I was telling them about a time, I said, I was right here on one occasion, and while I was riding, when I went to this little pass, a, a group of wild hogs joined me and ran alongside with me. I was really nervous because that portion between Rock Martin and Hiram, man, that's kind of treacherous land. I thought, when we get through this little pass, if they run into me on my bike, they could knock me down that hill. I never told Laura about that this first time she's hearing about it, but we know that wild animals can be dangerous. Indeed. And historians tell us that in the ancient Near East at the time of Jesus, there were wolves, boars, hyenas, jackals, and leopards living out in the wilderness. How would you like those living out in the backyard? When we lived in um, Lawton, we went out to visit this, this, this family that lived out in kind of the countryside, but wide open 
spaces and they had their little lap dogs that they loved and one evening they took him out for a walk and a coyote came up in the yard and snatched one of their dogs and carried it off. And uh, that guy got some night vision goggles and big guns and took care of it. But anyways, that's another story for another time. But don't mess with an artilleryman's little lap dog, okay? So in Jesus' day, wolves, boars, hyenas, jackals, and leopards. And here's Jesus out for 40 days and 40 nights hanging out unharmed by the wolves, boars, hyenas, jackals, and leopards. Kind of makes us remember that episode from Daniel chapter 6. Do you remember Daniel spending the night in the lion's den? This is, as I said earlier, a miracle in a sense. The Son of God dukes it out with Satan, comes out victorious, but then he stays with these ravenous carnivores, and they don't touch him. They don't harm him. He's miraculously uninjured. Now, what's the meaning here? Why does Mark share that one little phrase? Well, it's important to note that these animals were flesh-devouring. It's also important to note that their hunger for meat, their hunger for killing and eating other creatures, came about, we believe, at the fall. Original sin. Killer animals, it seems, are a result of the curse. Genesis 1, 29 through 30, 2, 19 and 3, 21. Jewish tradition held that wild animals were a result of original sin. So what is Mark showing us? What is the Word of God telling us? What's so significant about Jesus hanging out with some leopards and hyenas? Well, the prophets give us a clue. They regularly foretold, if you read the prophets, major prophets and minor prophets alike, that the Messiah's work when he came to earth would reverse this particular aspect of the fall. Isaiah 35, 9, Ezekiel 34, 25, and Hosea 2, 18. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11, 9 concerning Messiah's kingdom, saying there will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there. In the new heaven and the new earth, when the Lord makes all things new, when he refashions the earth and creates Garden of Eden part two, expels Satan and sin forever, Satan's in the lake of fire, no more sin, no more confusion, no more corruption, no more division or depravity, peace and paradise forever. When all of that happens, there will be no more Vicious beast. The redeemed will walk in that city without any fear whatsoever. No flesh-devouring animals because there is no death, no curse. So, so what does Jesus show us by hanging out with these wild animals? It seems our Lord means to show us, it seems that Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture means to reveal that Jesus came to earth to make all things new. Jesus here, by hanging out with the wild animals, reminds us of his purpose. He had come to live among us, to live the perfect life we could never live, and then to die as a substitute for sin so that he could reverse all of the consequences of Adam and Eve's original sin. 
by sleeping on the back of a hyena. I don't know if he really did that, but let's just imagine it. By cuddling up with a hyena at night, Jesus proved that he had the power to reverse all of the consequences of sin. And he gave us a preview of what life will look like in the new kingdom one day. Now, how does this help us? I said, if you want to overcome temptation, you've got to look forward to the future. I believe our text reminds us that we have a powerful antidote for overcoming sin by remembering who Jesus is and what he has done. We can have victory over temptation. And the moment we are enticed to say those words, to think those thoughts, to stew in our juices, to watch that material on TV, or to click on that link on the computer, if we, by faith, can have the wherewithal to have a Jesus focus and to remember all that he's done, we'll be more likely to have victory. Furthermore, by casting an eye to the future and remembering what our future will be like, we will have faith fuel that will help us stand strong in the time of temptation. See, we can overcome sin by keeping our eyes on the future. Satan's allurements, his enticements, his power doesn't seem so strong when we're focused on the way King Jesus is one day going to make all things new. When we stay mindful of how he has the power To eradicate sin completely, we'll be strengthened to stand our ground against Satan's snares. We can have victory over sin or a shortcoming by having faith that such sin and shortcomings will not be a part of our future destiny. As Christians, we have a way of altering our perspective when it comes to the time of temptation. Remembering who Jesus is, what he's done, what our future will be like. These are all ways to help us overcome temptation. Enticements don't seem so strong when we've got our eyes on the future. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.